This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, go to molecule.com, that's M O L E K U L E.com, and use the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. It's Monday, May 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, from another state, because that's how we're rolling these days. It's Ron Gross. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Chris. How are you? I am doing pretty well. We've got uh, some earnings. We've got some... I don't want to get my hopes up, but we've got some encouraging news <laughs> yes, on the agreed. health front. Encouraging is the right word. Exciting, di- yes. Yeah, we're going to dip into the full mailbag, too. But we're going to start with um, Marriott, um, because Marriott International... Net income in the first quarter a year ago was $375 million, and this year, it's $31 million. It's still profitable. It is, it is still <laughs> profitable. Um, Marriott is also laying off tens of thousands of people. What do you see when you look at a massive hotel company like Marriott? Uh, Pain, and you know what? This one hits kind of close to home because they're headquartered out of Bethesda, where I live. So I actually, you know, can put faces to furloughed workers. So it's tough, man. The stock reflects how bad it is. Down forty-two percent this year. Um, Revenue per room, the the we like to call it Revpar, um, down twenty-two and a half percent for the quarter, which was down about twenty percent North America, down thirty percent outside North America. Now, that's not even that bad, because when you look at April, Revpar was down 90%, but that's not reflected in these numbers, because the quarter ended at the end of March. But the pain was really, really, really um, significant in April. Uh, 25% of Marriott's 73, 7,400 hotels are closed. A little bit of bright spot. They think maybe China is recovering somewhat. Occupancy there hit 25% in April. I think it's it's fascinating that we consider twenty five percent to be somewhat encouraging, uh, as you noted. You know the the numbers are are just devastating. Adjusted operating income one hundred ninety two million um, for the quarter, down from six hundred and fifty five million in last year's first quarter. So then you know we got to look at the balance sheet. Uh, how how bad is this, and how much danger could they be in? Debt of twelve billion. Cash of only one point eight billion. So they went back to the markets, which I think was wise, um, raised another $2.5 billion through debt issuances to to kind of shore up that balance sheet. Interestingly, they actually bought some stock back, $150 million of stock back during the quarter before they said, well, maybe, maybe not. We should halt this, um, cancel the dividend as well, um, you know, preserve our cash because we don't know when this is going to get better. So that that's wise. Um, as I mentioned earlier, furloughing tens of thousands of hotel staff, two-thirds of their corporate uh, workers. Um, I believe there are 4,000 or so of, of those in total, um, furloughing about two-thirds of them. Um, so they're just in hunker-down mode. Going to wait this out. It, you know, traditionally a very strong company and a traditionally a very um, popular company to work for. Always on the list of, of you know great companies to work for. Um, this is just an exogenous hit to their business that they're going to just have to wait out. And and you know they'll come back, but I, we just can't predict exactly when this starts to firm up. You look at the stock; it's down about five percent today. It's basically cut in half since the beginning of the year. I, but as you said, I mean, this is 
historically, this is a strong company. This is one of, if not the top performers in their industry. I don't know. I could, I could see, I could see one scenario where we look back and a year from now, and we say, "Oh, yeah, that was the time to buy Marriott when the stock was cut in half." Because you know they did talk a little bit about how, as you mentioned, the numbers in China, which are not great numbers, but they're certainly higher than they were. The company talked about demand in most of the rest of the world stabilizing. So. The challenge for Marriott and all these hotel companies is how do they demonstrate to people that they're completely safe walking into the hotel rooms? Right. And I think if they can do that, then I think then then we see demand going up. For sure. And when do antigen testing? We'll talk that about that a little bit a little bit later. Help certainly vaccines. It will help. The vaccines will be the game changer for people starting to travel again. Um, and so whether that's end of this year, I don't know, optimistic, next year, more, more realistic perhaps. Uh, but, but you know, uh, I mentioned on the radio show last week, uh, Jeremy Siegel, I think correctly, uh, said that 90% of a company's value is the cash flows that it generates after the next 12 months. Right, so thinking about a company and a stock and a valuation like Marriott, the next twelve months pain, but the rest of the Marriott's life, hopefully, God willing, is going to be more normal. Um, now, you know, the next twelve months are are very important. They, they make up ten percent of of a, of a valuation because of the near term cash flows. Are almost in present value state as is, and you're, you're discounting um, future cash flows back rather significantly. But if you believe in Marriott, you believe its balance sheet is going to withstand this. You're right. It's probably a time where we'll look back and be, boy, I could have owned Marriott at eighty-seven dollars a share. You know, even if it goes to seventy-five or seventy, or you know, if we can't call the bottom five years from now, ten years from now. I don't see how owning Marriott at $87 is not a good buy. Under Armour shares are down 10% today. Uh, first quarter uh, revenue for Under Armour down nearly 25%. And coming into this year, uh, CEO uh, Patrick Frisk, who's new on the job, he was in, he was all about the turnaround and executing <laughs> his plan for the turnaround. And that bar is so much higher for Frisk and the team at Under Armour. Uh, it's brutal. He came on, I think, January, right? I mean, it's literally just, just came into a, a storm. And as, as you say, it's not like Under Armour was firing on all cylinders in the first place. They had a rather significant restructuring program in place to kind of better align costs to where they, they see the business at the moment. Um, and then and then this hit, and then, you know, just so all bets are off. You know, North America, which is 65% of sales, or 28% reduction in revenue, and international was down 12%. Direct-to-consumer down 14%. Wholesale down 28%. You know, any way you slice these numbers, um, they're just bad. Um, they have previously announced layoffs, um, extended their store closings. They withdrew their forecast for the year, as most companies have. Uh, they they lost five hundred ninety million for the quarter, um, if 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 memory serves me correct. So, you know, this this is not going well um, amidst uh, 
an already tough restructuring. So again, we always have to turn to the balance sheet and, and see how bad is this. The balance sheet is, is relatively okay. A billion in costs, about a billion two in debt. Kind of, so kind of net neutral there. Um, but business is weak. And you can contrast that with a company like Nike, um, who also, you know, is, is you know, not gangbusters in this environment, but still the digital growth at Nike of 36%. Uh, revenue is actually up for the quarter for Nike. Um, so, you know, you, Under Armour stock down almost 60% year to date. Nike's down only 12%. And that's a reflection that the businesses are just very different. Um, and Nike's is, is much stronger. Uh, so UA, uh, I didn't like it before the pandemic. I thought it was problematic and and I'm certainly even more wary now. And there are, you know, the old saying there's enough blame to go around. Um there are enough mistakes that Under Armour has made over the past call it 5-6 years. But when you talk about the e-commerce sales for Under Armour, I can't help but think about the decision that Kevin Plank made years ago to invest, I think it was 700 million dollars buying a, a connected fitness uh, company of something like and, and you think about a decision like that and if instead the decision was we're going to invest 700 million dollars in a robust e-commerce platform because those are decisions that Nike and Adidas have made and that's why that's part of why both those companies are in better shape financially than Under Armour Yeah, and I mean we're playing armchair quarterback, but I think I think that's absolutely right. Like years ago, uh, Nike sitting around the conference room table, hey, should we double down on our relationship with Foot Locker or should we go multi-channel and really go direct to the consumer? And luckily for them, they made the right choice there. Bad for Foot Locker, obviously. Um, but it's all about capital allocation and and kind of looking into the future and and, and kind of skating to the puck. Um, skating to where the puck will be, uh, and Under Armour has not done a good job in that sense. Well, and similar to Marriott talking about the rest of the world and demand stabilizing, with Under Armour, one of the things they talked about was uh, their locations in China, that basically all of them have reopened, and now we get to see over the next couple of months, what does that traffic look like? Does it provide a blueprint? to stores in the US. Um, you know, if you're looking for uh, glimmers of hope, that might be it with Under Armour. Right, and, but then you'll just be back to their normal restructuring, right? And then right. back to where, you, where, where Patrick Frisk thought he was back in January, which, which was, was not, not an easy thing um, to be tackling. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. It's it's an important company, and and we've talked about it a lot um, in, in Fooldom um, for years and years. So we'll keep an eye, but they've they've got some work to do. Quick shout out to Molecule, which is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people, including yours truly. Molecule's given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all new experience. Breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products provides a solution for the entire home when it comes to air purification. So no matter the size of your room, you can choose the option that's best for your space. That could be the Molecule Air for larger rooms or the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. It replaces technology from nearly a, sensor, a century ago. 
because um, whatever you've got in your home right now is, is probably the HEPA filter technology that was developed in the 1940s. And uh, this is an improvement on that. Um, it's easy to use. It's got a great design. It looks good. And as I've said before, the best thing I can say about uh, Molecules Air Purifiers is they work. I slept so much better when I had an air purifier in my room destroying pollen on a molecular level. And you can get 10% off your first air purifier. Just go to Molecule.com and use the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and use the promo code FOOL10. Shares of Quidel, which is a company <laughs> I'd never heard of until this morning. That's right, Quidel, Q-U-I-D-E-L. Shares up 25% this morning after the company um, got emergency approval from the FDA to distribute a new type of COVID-19 antigen test. And this test is designed for very rapid detection of the virus. This seems obviously great for shareholders, but this also <laughs> seems promising for everyone in our country. Yeah, look at that stock chart, or as they say in Boston, that stack chat. Um, it's unbelievable. I mean, um, it, it's very exciting. And uh, we we won't pretend to be experts here because I, I was not familiar with this company either. Um, but the fact that it's a quick test, the fact that it appears to be 85% at least accurate, um, the fact that it utilizes machines that already have an installed base in doctor's offices, about 40,000 of these Sophia machines, that's the brand name, Sophia machines, are already in doctor's offices. I think um, that bodes pretty well in terms of getting um, these tests directly to folks. Um, and the fact that the FDA authorizes the emergency authorization means, you know, they agree as well. And and, and this this is pretty exciting stuff. The, the test actually, it, it's a little bit different because from my understanding, it, it looks for actually chunks of the virus itself when, when checking out antigens. But again, if we talk too much about the science, I'll be, I'll be making it up. And I, I certainly don't want to do that. Um, but for all of us, for the economy, for he for the health crisis, um, it's going to be things like this, um, and then the eventual vaccine that, that get us back to some kind of new normal. I watched a clip with uh, Scott Gottlieb, uh, the former uh, director of the FDA, and um, uh, the analogy when he talked about how this test worked, it reminded me a little bit of a strep test, if you've ever had a strep test, and they can do sort of a quick version of it where they get the results yeah. very, you know, in, in five, 10 minutes. And f you know, eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, that, that's the one, you know, that's all you need. And then you know, 10 to 15% of the time, it's like, no, actually we need the, the, uh, the more robust testing where we send it away and then we get the results, that sort of thing. But it, um, and even it that's probably only 24 hours, which is not too bad. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is, um, this is great for Quidel, great for the shareholders. And um, if this is a test that can, you know, because as we've talked about before, yes, we want a vaccine, but before that, it's all about the testing. And we got like, we got to be able to test as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, we're going to see that with businesses as offices attempt to reopen and you know this could be part of the solution yeah for sure i mean i, I the the right now just taking people's temperatures I, I don't think that gets us where we need to be in terms of getting getting back to business we need to see um who has antigens uh, uh, who doesn't um 
contact tracing, you know, all the same things we hear all, all the time, testing, contract tracing, really important until we, we get to over that hump and, and get to the vaccine, as you said. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from George Demakos, uh, who writes, I am new to your stock advisor service. Tom and David Gardner always talk about buying 15 stocks. I have $6,000 to play with. Do you advise splitting the $6,000 up into 15 different stocks? Also, when you guys recommend stocks like Netflix and Amazon, does it make sense to buy Amazon at such a high price? I'd only be able to buy two and a half shares. Does that really make any sense? <laughs> good question. I mean, it, it, it's a good point because, yeah, I, I, I think where Amazon stock price is, yeah, $6,000 probably get, gets you two and a half shares. Right. So, first of all, George, welcome uh, to Stock Advisor. I'm great that you're starting to invest. With respect to the 15 stock guidance that you often hear us talk about, I won't speak for Tom and Dave, but I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, it doesn't have to be immediate. It's something aspirational. Um, it's something we'd like to see you build to, so you're um, diversified across a number of different stocks, hopefully hopefully a number of different sectors, hopefully a number of uh, different types of uh, sizes of companies, market capitalizations. So, you can get there over time. You don't need to feel that you need to do that immediately. And also, don't be afraid for for some of that positions, one, one, one chunk of that 15 um, to be an index fund, which will get you even more um, instant diversification. So maybe start with five or ten right now. Um, take your six thousand dollars. He said he's going to play with it. This is not about playing. This is serious <laughs> business. But definitely have some fun with it and invest for the long term for sure. Um, start with five or ten um, and divide the six thousand across that. Uh, it doesn't matter how much of any one company you, you buy. Um, so the higher price stocks like Amazon, obviously, it can be rather daunting. Um, if you have a broker that will allow you to buy fractional shares. That's even better because you can take $500 and buy $500 worth of Amazon and, and get a fractional share there. Uh, it's not about the number of shares you own. It's the about amount of cash that you put towards a stock. So, never focus on the number of shares. Just focus on the amount of capital you're investing in a company. Um, start now. Uh, now's a great time to start, I think, in terms of pricing and where we'll be hopefully five or 10 years down the road. Start with five or 10, build towards 15, and you're, you're on your way. You know, speaking of uh, index funds, as you mentioned, it, one thing I was thinking about this morning, because I've got an S&P 500 index fund, and looking at how the market is going so far this year and how it's probably going to go for the next year and a half, I might look into just putting a little bit of money into a NASDAQ index of some sort. Um, NASDAQ is positive for the year, right. uh, which, which is fascinating, right? Led, the market's being led as it has been been quite a bit over the years lately um, by some of the large technology leaders. Um, NASDAQ usually typically thought of as a home for technology companies. Um, and uh, so many of them are actually up this year. Um, so when we think of companies being down 10, 20 percent, uh, you can point to a number of companies that trade on the NASDAQ that are actually up. Um, certainly nothing wrong. A QQQ um, is, is a typical kind of a NASDAQ ETF, exchange traded fund. Um, always great to have exposure. I personally have exposure to the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, which are small cap stocks, the NASDAQ, which are typically technology stocks. Nothing wrong with owning ETFs to kind of invest in the market that way. Ron Gross, good talking to you. You too, Chris. Thank you. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.